Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is March the 16th. And the headlines today are all about looking east. Boris Johnson now uh, is apparently in, in a post-Brexit United Kingdom looking east as a focus to Asia of his post-Brexit strategy. Boris says that uh, the United Kingdom will become a global activist after Brexit. I'm, I'm speaking to you from California. I'm not sure if that's east or west of, of, of the UK. Um, and Boris says that he wants um, he wants the United Kingdom, a post uh, post Brexit United Kingdom, to work with China, though it poses great challenges for an open society. Boris, of course, is continuing to wear his post imperial garb as if Britain is more important than it actually is. Um, all this, of course, not of course, but it brings to mind, at least in today's interview, um, some thoughts about the origins of the British Empire. And a man who many of you will be familiar with, Francis Drake, um, explorer, sea captain, privateer, naval officer, politician, and indeed slave dealer. He was the guy in many ways who, uh, the explorer who, who created the British Empire. He looked east first. And we're thrilled today to have an author on the show who has written a book about Francis Drake, Elizabeth I, and the perilous birth of the British Empire in search of kingdom. Um, Loris, uh, Lawrence uh, Burgreen uh, is based in Manhattan, but he's a very uh, distinguished historian, author of many best-selling books. Uh, Lawrence, what can Boris Johnson learn or what should he learn from Sir Francis Drake? Well, I'm afraid they'd be lessons that, you know, Frank Drake was a person of his time. He was a pirate. Um, he started as a slaver and he moved up in the world, if that's the expression, uh, to becoming a pirate and stealing gold from Spain in order to finance England, which was on the verge of going under during the entire time. That's why Queen Elizabeth was so uh, grateful to him. So I'm afraid the, le the lessons he would learn would be basically lessons of rapaciousness, and competitiveness uh, rather than things that we would prize today of uh, humanity and civility and equal rights and things like that. Uh, Why are you afraid, uh, uh, Lawrence, of that? I mean, I think Boris Johnson would actually rather fancy himself as, yeah, as a 21st century Francis Drake. I, I think he would. Uh, you know, Drake was an incredibly tough and courageous person. He came from a very poor family in Devon. He was the oldest of 12 siblings. Most of them perished at sea. Um, there was very little sense of a, of a future for him, except um, he turned out to be a very skillful navigator and uh, went by stages from being a, a primitive um, merchant marine to a slaver. Slavery was never that big in England. And then moved on to piracy. Mostly, though, he was fueled by hatred of the Spanish. I don't think that would necessarily work for Boris Johnson. But I don't know. I don't think, uh, speaking as, a, as, a, as an expat, I don't think the British are particularly, still particularly keen on the Spanish, but that's right. for another right. show. Right, another show. So that was this was uh, partly a religious 
uh, uh, rivalry, uh, partly because Spain at that time was the biggest empire um, of all. And uh, the, the China of its age. Could we could we call Spain the China of the, uh, the 16th bigger. century? Relatively bigger, but yes, it's sort of an analogy, um, and it was much more aggressive uh, than China. In other words, if China went around the world um, stealing uh, precious items from other countries. Um, that might be a better analogy. Um, you know the expression, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Well, in Drake's era, the expression was the sun never sets on the Spanish Empire. England was an isolated island nation. It had one little colony, Calais, which was eventually overrun and taken away. And it was in danger of being invaded by Spain and King Philip at any time. As you know, it was very divided between Protestants and Catholics. Uh, Queen Elizabeth was uh, trying a very, very difficult balancing act, both to, to keep her throne, to, to keep alive, and to somehow harness these two opposing forces. She managed to do it for, for, for years, for decades. It really was an incredible feat of, uh, well, I would say diplomacy, but also uh, um, Machiavellian uh, 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 deception. Yeah, and of course, Machiavelli was the great thinker uh, of that age. You describe uh, Drake uh, Lawrence as a great navigator, which of yes. course in geographical terms he was, but he was also um, a networking genius, a navigator on the socio-political front. And that seems yeah. to be the heart of your book. This yeah. isn't just a book about Francis Drake sailing around the world. It's a book about Drake's navigation of the British royal family and the, right. the British political system. How did Drake navigate his way to Elizabeth I? This yeah. a remarkable queen, all English school children are familiar with this woman, um, a woman of, of enormous political skill uh, and significance. Um, yes, and also very, very difficult. Um, could be very deadly if you were on her wrong side or, or very helpful. She um, looks deadly here. It's not yeah, someone yeah. you want to get spanked yeah, by. Yeah. There were always rumors, uh, Lawrence, that she was actually a man. Is there any truth to that? I never heard about that. No, she wasn't a man. And there's, of course, rumors about her love life. It seems to me, um, based on what I read, that she did have some lovers, but they were drawn from the highest ranks of the English aristocracy. Not Drake, who was one of her rumor, rumored lovers later on. That that didn't happen. She would have considered him too far below, too low-born uh, for her. But um, she- Well, they make a nice couple. I, I put this couplet <laughs> together. I mean- yeah. uh, And they, they were both redheads. They were both redheads. I'm sure um, they could have had some fun together. And they probably didn't. Um, she was smitten with some other uh, aristocracy at that time and spent her uh, private time with them. But they, she did spend a lot of face time with Drake after the circumnavigation. Before the circumnavigation, he was a wannabe pirate. He was one more aspiring uh, uh, privateer who was trying to get her backing, trying to win her favor. Um, but he was the one who really had the guts to attempt a circumnavigation. Now, the last one to have done that was Magellan about 60 years earlier. Magellan yeah, died. The, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the Portuguese navigator. So yes. he, he went, he ran, he was the first guy to go, to sail around the world and Drake was the second. Is that fair? Well, almost. Uh, Magellan died in the attempt. He was killed in the Philippines in a very unnecessary tribal war. Um, so 
when Drake was doing this, it was a, a, nobody had really attempted to uh, duplicate Magellan's feat because it was thought to be too dangerous. Uh, Magellan made many discoveries. One of them was the Pacific Ocean, which is, of course, the largest body of water on the planet, which added untold difficulty. You say, uh, I mean, Larry, uh, Lawrence, uh, just to jump in here, you say discoveries. Of course, there were some people who already had discovered the Pacific. This was just the discoveries from the European point of view. Uh, from from the point of view of European, uh, no, nobody in Europe knew how big the Pacific was. Of course, the people who lived there, the Pacific, <laughs> the Pacific Islanders were aware, and they, uh, uh, Chinese were aware, but um, the the uh, Europe was was not aware. So that came as a very unpleasant surprise because it seemed like it was would never end. Now, Earth has looked a lot smaller to Magellan than it actually was. So Drake knew the difficulties involved. He knew the distances and he was able to benefit from Magellan's mistakes, which was a large part of the reason for his success. He was also careful. Um, Magellan went in to try and convert people to Christianity. He was very, very devout. Um, and Drake was also quite religious um, and uh, and superstitious in, in believing in witches. Uh, was Drake, um, was he... Um uh, when you say he was religious, was because, of course, Elizabeth I was uh, Church of England. Yes. And she was the daughter of Anne Boleyn. And, of course, her elder sister was Mary, who yeah. uh, almost put Elizabeth to death as a Catholic. Um, was Drake a, a, a hardcore Protestant? Um, yes, yes. His father, later on, after he stopped being a, uh, a farmer, uh, became a preacher. And uh, so he was, that's a good way of putting it, a hardcore Protestant. That aligned him with Elizabeth. Anti-Catholic, of course. In, yeah, and Elizabeth liked having hardcore Protestants in her, uh, um, you know, among her closest advisors. Uh, Walsingham, who was her security agent, who invented the British Secret Service, uh, was a Puritan. That's another way of saying hardcore. And uh, so, so were others. So that was very helpful. If Drake had been born a Catholic, we probably would not have heard of him. So yeah, and if Drake had been born black, we wouldn't have heard of him either. You you uh, mentioned yeah. earlier people's yeah. ears will have pricked up that uh, Francis Drake, in earlier in his career, was what you called a slaver. The issue of slavery yeah. in the United Kingdom very much in the news. Uh, lots yeah. of lots of port cities, including Plymouth and Bristol, are changing the names of yeah. their squares. Um, and of course, there's recently been a huge, um, a, a, a huge brouhaha over the, the British royal family and racism. Prince William yeah. saying that the royals not very much a royal, a racist family. I'm not sure if that's true. Historically, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth II, of course, the current Elizabeth, uh, saying that the racism claim will be addressed. Um, Lawrence, we had Kahinde Andrews, very different kind of writer from you, very different kind of book, The New Age of Empire, on the show um, a few weeks ago. I want to show you a clip from what Kahinde said. I want you to respond. Yeah, I mean, what really is the defining feature of the West is racism, is white supremacy. And if what the book tries to do is trace it back to the emergence of what we have now, which really is uh, Columbus sells the ocean blue goes the wrong way and finds the Americas. And that kind of unlocks the, everything else that happens afterwards is unlocked by that. Industrial revolution, um, which is, but you can't have any of those things without the genocide in the Americas, without slavery of Africans, 
uh, without colonialism. So really white supremacy, the idea that black and brown people can be um, oppressed for their resources and labor, that, that really is what makes the West the West. Uh, Lawrence, now, of course, uh, Kahinde is not a, 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 a historical scholar like you of, of Drake, and he wasn't talking specifically about Drake, but he mentioned Columbus. How overt was, quote unquote, and we use this word in a very generic way, racism, to the men of Drake's generation and to Drake himself? Did he regard people of different skins as inferior? Uh the answer is no, but I have to give you a sort of complicated answer, if you can bear with me for a minute. Um, in England in general at that time, the answer was, of course, yes. Um, and, uh, in, you know, England, like many other countries in Europe, was very uh, xenophobic. And uh, so skins of different color would have been completely uh, considered the other and outsiders and infidels. Drake, after he, he got disgusted with being a slaver, and he quit as a young man. What did and, it mean, uh, Lawrence? You keep on using this word slaver. What, okay. what, what did that it involve? Meant, it meant he was stealing slaves that the Portuguese had originally captured from Africa and reselling them. So he was sort of a middleman. So he um, was a sort of a pirate pirate. He was pirating yes, yes. the pirates. Yes, yes. And so his, but he just, he was not, slavery, did not he was he was uh uh horrified by it but he much preferred being a pirate partly because it what it meant that he was getting revenge against the spanish okay so why did he hate spain he hated spain partly because of the spanish inquisition partly because it had scooped up one of his cousins and kept him imprisoned in south america for years and he was all, always in danger of being captured by the spanish inquisition if he had been he'd really an awful fate would have been in store for him. He probably would have been burned in the stake, at the stake, which happened to many people. Okay, so uh, Drake um, was then interested in becoming a pirate. He then brought back a lot of gold and silver to Elizabeth from his circumnavigation. That was his main goal. He wasn't going to uh, see sites or uh, explore, but that's when he, he brought back this gold successfully to Elizabeth and endeared himself uh, to her really for that reason. However, he, along the way, he had two experiences that made a difference. One was even before the circumnavigation, he had been uh, stealing gold in Central America. And there was a group known as the Cimarron who were uh, part, um, well, they were dark skinned. It's not exactly sure what their makeup was. And he, yeah, I have a, I have a slide. The Cimarrons oh, were from okay, Panama, yeah, oh, and um, he used them as a, they were, they were rebels against the Spanish, and he, and he yeah. sort of allied with them, right, uh, right, to fight the Spanish. Is that fair? Right, right. And they, they wanted Drake to become his, their leader, and he considered it. He might have been the leader of a, uh, of some sort of land or kingdom at that point, if he, you know, if he wished to, but he didn't, he turned away from it. But then the same thing happened again later on in his career. During the last part of the circumnavigation, he was traveling north along the American Pacific coast, um, up to Northern California and Washington state. And there was an Indian group there known as the Miwok. I think that they're still around. Yeah, Miwok peoples of California. Of course, right. it wasn't known as California then. Right. Now, this turned out to be a mutual admiration society. He admired the Miwok, and the Miwok admired him. 
um, he writes a lot about how they were very resourceful, their way of living. And the Miwok wanted Drake to become Drake and his men to, to become uh, their leaders. And so the same thing, you know, as, as the Cimarron, I, he considered it again, he turned away and, you know, continued his mission going uh, back to England with all this uh, gold and silver, because that was his really his primary goal. So I would think you could extrapolate from these two examples that there was some sympathy between Drake and dark skinned peoples. Um, it, it's very interesting. So, so uh, Lawrence, let's, let's got on to the, the core of, of, of your narrative, which is the circumnavigation, right. uh, Drake's circumnavigation of the world between 1577 and 1580. Right. Uh, here we have a contemporary map of what he did. Here's the real map. Um, it's a remarkable achievement, yes. particularly given the size of these ships. It's, it's astonishing how, mm. how daring, how brave, how strong these men must have been. I think it really quite incredible nerve and courage. Keep in mind, most of them didn't know how to swim. So they, they were sailing around the world without even knowing how to swim if they had Well, it wouldn't have done them much good. I mean, there weren't any other boats out there. So if they fell in the water, they were dead anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. So and although he lost very few men in on Drake's voyage, I'm sorry, Magellan's, almost everybody perished. But with Drake, it was very few, partly because he was very skillful. He often kept offshore, uh, kept his men out of harm's way. Um, his raids were uh, very uh, strategic and surgical. Uh, also, Spain was very poor at defending its gold, and he often came upon a Spanish encampment uh, on, the, say, the west coast of uh, South America and along uh, Peru or uh, Chile, rather, and nobody was really guarding it or he just stole it and uh, nobody really stopped him. He also was quite gallant in his treatment of the Spanish despite his hatred of them. This is rather paradoxical. So uh, anybody whom he raided, any of these Spanish ships, and there were a number of them, he left souvenirs, uh, some sort of trinket of Drake, as if to say Drake was here. And he charmed the captains rather than torturing them or killing them. So. Uh, Drake had a uh, reputation in Spain anyway as having almost supernatural powers, as being undefeated. Uh, all sorts of Drake legends sprung up in Spain that he had a telescope that could see all over the world simultaneously. Um, and uh, uh, Lawrence, why though was this circumnavigation, to, to borrow um, your, your subtitle of the book, why was it the birth of the British oh, Empire? Okay. Did they actually acquire any territory? Uh, no, but it, it it happened to fuse with an event going on in England at the same time. Uh, one of Elizabeth's confidants was named John D D E E, who looked seemed looked like a character out of Harry Potter. He was a brilliant mathematician, a mystic, um, an Oxford don, um, and a, and an eccentric. It goes without saying. Um, he brought uh, mathematical symbols to England, such as plus and minus and divide sign, which uh, divine sign, which England did not have before then. Um, and he predicted or dreamed up a theory about the British Empire. He's the one who coined the phrase. Um, that coincided with Drake's circumnavigation. So in the minds of Elizabeth and others at court, uh, these two came together as a concept. So that's how it happened to be the beginnings of the British Empire. And uh, 
So he came along at the right time, and and so did Dee. And of course, a lot of this was driven by an urgent need to counter Spain. Um, this received this got its culmination eight years later in 1588 with the Battle of the Spanish Armada, which was when England finally went head to head with Spain. Until that time, England had uh, laid low. Elizabeth was afraid to take uh, uh, King Philip on directly because they were so much more powerful. Um, she was afraid that they would overrun England. They would come and get her. If they got her, they would execute her. So uh, she she didn't take him on directly. You know, the famous incident where Drake was um, uh, knighted by her on the board of his ship, Golden Hind, um, and there's lots there of- There we have an image of the Golden Hind, yes. Yeah, um, and there's lots of famous paintings of his kneeling before her, and uh, she taps him on the shoulder uh, with a sword. Uh, it actually didn't happen. Um, she was too afraid that this would be uh, a provocation that Philip wouldn't be able to tolerate, and he would invade England. They, Spain was very close by. It wasn't far away. So instead, she handed the sword to the French ambassador who was in attendance and had him do it in her stead. Uh, so that she had an excuse. Elizabeth was very Elizabeth, like uh, like her, um, like her Elizabeth II, very smart politically. Yes, uh, yeah. Lawrence, as as I said earlier, I'm talking to you from California, and I'm really yeah. intrigued with the the circumnavigation. Drake, would it be fair to say that Drake was the first uh, European to set foot in California in seven in 1579? Um, no. He, no. Uh, or he, he reached land in, in Oregon and then came south towards California? Or is that wrong? Northern, northern yes, northern California and Oregon, uh, yes. But southern California, of course, the Spanish were there. The Spanish were all over. And, uh, you know, for a long time, North America, or a lot of North America, was in Spanish hands. And we see the legacy today. There are so many Spanish names and descendants of the Spanish uh, Occupancy. So he was the first um, Anglo-European um, to, right. to set foot in California, um, he, and he called it New Albion. Um, yes. What would he have seen back then? Do you think? Um, well, seen here's, it the, uh, here's the original map of the world. It, it would have yeah. just, I suppose, been forest and and bay. Very beautiful. Very and bay and um, he would have seen the dunes, the famous dunes, uh, which stretched on for miles, which. Um, inspired the novel, famous novel, Dune. Um, and it looks pretty much the same today. Of course, there are cities there. There are more people. Uh, but if you took a uh, you know top-down view, um, it would look more or less the same as what he saw in those days. It hasn't changed dramatically. He, he, he's supposed to have... Um, uh, he's supposed to have uh, sailed uh, into Port Reyes. Is that fair? Uh, yes, we're not sure exactly where he sailed, but yes, it's possible that he did. And uh, he didn't leave many artifacts there, so we don't really know exactly what he was doing. Uh, now, I, there are, I think there's a lot of activity. I keep getting emails about uh, 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 historical societies and historians in that area trying to find out more about exactly what Drake did in that area and where he stayed and uh, what happened. Most of what we know uh, is... Our records kept. But he up. certainly wouldn't have viewed California like we do as the future, as the West. Did he even think no. of it as the West in geographical terms? He, no, he, he like all it. all people of the 16th century, always thought like Boris Johnson today of going east. Is that fair? 
yes, he wanted to go east, and uh, that's what he did. Uh, he was looking for the fabled Northwest Passage, which, of course, he didn't find because it didn't exist. When he realized he wasn't going to find it, uh, he headed uh, into the Pacific Ocean uh, to get to the Moluccas, to the Spice Islands. So um, he was basically following Magellan's route uh, after that. So he, he was... The, the thought was the, you know, the riches of the East uh, were uh, what he was after. You know, Magellan's whole approach was to find a quicker way to get to the East, you know, by sailing rather than going on foot or by... Uh, right. You, you mentioned, uh, Lawrence, the riches of the East. And of course, yeah. when you use that word riches, you're thinking spices, you're thinking treasure, I, you're thinking gold well, and silver. Yes, yes. Uh, we had Simon Winchester on, on the show uh couple of months ago. His new book is about, is entitled Land, How the Hunger for Ownership Shaped the Modern World. What strikes me about um, uh, about Drake is he would have been much better off acquiring the land of California than worrying about treasure. Is that fair? What was the obsession? Was it an obsession with silver, with gold? Yes, uh, obsession with gold. Yes, it was an obsession with gold. He wanted something he could take home with him that was portable. Of course, the land wasn't. And and Drake, as I said, you know, mentioned twice, uh, turned his back on the opportunity to lead uh, two, you know, uh, groups of people, the Miwok and the Cimarron. Um, so he really wasn't interested in land. He could have had it. His emphasis was on precious metals, on gold and silver and gems. And, and that's what he wanted. What he got in return, uh, besides a knighthood, was a giant castle, uh, Buckland Abbey, and uh, and status. Here we have Buckland Abbey. So he did yes. get something physical out of this, but he was probably yes. more interested in the building itself than the land. Again, there <laughs> yes. was land in the 16th century. Uh, Lawrence thought in symbolic terms, in genealogical terms, in aristocratic terms. People didn't think of land in a, in a capitalist sense. Um, yeah, I think you're right about that, and it's, I don't really know how Drake thought of land, but I do know that he seemed to have very little interest in it. For example, uh, not long after Elizabeth uh, gave him Buckland Abbey, and he remarried, and he lived there with his uh, highborn second wife, uh, he left, and he went back to sea, um, and uh, he went south to uh, Venezuela, or off the coast of Venezuela, and in the Caribbean, and fought one engagement against the Spanish after another. He was much happier at sea battling the Spanish than he was living the life of the Lord in England. Even though he was a elected mayor of Plymouth, became a member of parliament, and had other honors uh, heaped on him, he uh, had very little use of them in, in his life. And he did show up in Istanbul. Here we have an image of him with the, the Grand Sultan. Yes. Um, was he a player in the global politics of the age, in the great power politics of the Ottoman Empire, obviously no. of Spain and the United Kingdom? No, he could was you, not could you think of him as a, as a sort of uh, uh, an early version of a, of a Kissinger in the British uh, political system? <laughs> no, I don't really think Drake had those kinds of uh, intellectual or diplomatic uh, skills or ambitions. And I don't even think he he thought of himself as reshaping uh, the world. I think he saw things in a very uh, kind of uh, close to the ground view that he wanted to get gold, he wanted to battle Spain, and he didn't really think too far ahead of the implications of, of what this meant. 
Finally, Lawrence, uh, you've written this wonderful book, uh, which is a really a must read for anyone interested in the history of the period. You're a, you're a magnificent writer. You bring this age to life. Um, what did or what does Drake teach us in broad terms? What are you left with in terms of the, the reading and the researching and writing and, uh, of this book that, that you think is, is critical? What, what, what's so important about Sir Francis Drake? I think in, in English folklore, um, he's an example of uh, English courage, of uh, the uh, Elizabethan age, uh, England you know, quickly growing, being very daring, uh, facing down its enemies. You know, I think there are some other lessons which aren't so pleasant from Drake. We can learn a lot about uh, the conflicts between different races uh, and people with different skin colors at that time. Uh, we learn a lot about greed. We see that Drake's motivating uh, motivation was primarily greed. Uh, it was gold, so it wasn't that pleasant. In a sense, Columbus, because he was so religious, was more idealistic, uh, but Drake left, Drake was a happy warrior. Uh, he didn't go out slaughtering people for, with a few exceptions, uh, for no reason. And uh, he wasn't actually a cruel person. So I think there's this kind of uh, cheerfulness about Drake, which is uh, part of his legacy and why we still remember him. That uh, may be uh, your, this, this end brings us back to the beginning, to Boris Johnson. Whatever you think of him, he's certainly cheerful. So maybe there is a connection between That's Sir Francis is, Drake yeah. and Boris Johnson. Right, um, right. Lawrence uh, Burgreen, you're in Manhattan at the moment, stuck inside mm -hmm. like everyone else in these strange times. As I yes. said, he must read In Search of Kingdom, uh, Francis Drake, Elizabeth I, and the Perilous Birth of the British Empire must read one of the big historical books of the year what else are you reading these days lawrence to keep you busy to keep uh, you entertained i'm, I'm reading uh, hamnet that's with an n by maggie o'farrell this is a novel that's a reconstruction or reimagination of what the life of uh, shakespeare and his family and his son hamnet who didn't live very long uh, might have been like and uh, that's one book i'm reading that's a book to read slowly and savor it's it's not something that you go racing through. Ever the Anglophile, Lawrence Burgreen. Um, I think your book also could be described uh, as, as something to be sabred. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. And um, we will certainly uh, look forward to having you back on the show in the not too distant future to talk more about the origins of modernity. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.